much happening, guys. Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, I'll give you my official prediction for Stipe and Francis's rematch. I'll talk about Sean O'Malley's mentality this weekend and the return of Hosmet Chemayev, the future of Tyron Woodley. That's all coming up later, but first, I want to talk about a story I just heard. Dan Ige was telling this story, and they're cutting weight. They're in a sauna. And Ige's in the sauna, and Khabib's in the sauna. Khabib's cutting weight. Khabib has his teammates in the sauna. And one of the things that Khabib's team does is if one guy's cutting weight, we all cut weight. We're in it together. One guy suffers, we all suffer. Pretty cool move, by the way. I might, I might just say for Khabib and his team, that's a pretty cool move. But Ige broke sauna etiquette. So here's what Ige did. Ige had a water. So as he started to get hot and tired, Ige takes the cap off, takes a swig of the water. Well, when he squeezes the plastic, it makes a sound. He said all these, all, all these heads whip around. All Khabib's teammates, their head whip around. They give him a look of get rid of that. So Ige puts the lid on it, tries to hide the water. He says, I don't think that Khabib saw it. But if he did, I know an apology to Khabib. All right, Ige, time out. As a guy that's been defending you, a bunch of knuckleheads that are in a sauna because they believe in some code that this guy's sweating and therefore I need to sweat. Okay, excuse me. Their real message is if this guy's getting paid and we do it, he's likely to pay us a little bit. I mean, make sure you understand that. Secondly, you're going to mind that a bunch of head whips around from a bunch of guys that are not hugging on another sauna guy and they're not under contract in the UFC anyway. I mean, in all fairness, you had the right to be in the sauna. The sauna was there for the fighters. It wasn't there for these knuckleheads, no matter what kind of band of brothers they want to put together to get something peeled off the top. In all fairness. Secondly, yeah, what are you doing with water in the sauna? I mean, you understand that that is very reverse effective. You guys want to hear a story? Saunas and steams, okay, they are not the same thing. Not at all. They're both going to make you sweat. And if you're one of those people that buys into the concept that I've got a bunch of dirtiness within me and my sweat will get rid of the dirty, none of it's true. But if you're one of the people that buys into that and you want to go and get in a hot room and get a sweat going, go right ahead. If you're an athlete trying to sweat as a weight reduction, they're polar opposites. So I had this buddy and he kept going in a steam room. We were in college together. He kept going in the steam room. And he was already dehydrated when he finally finds this thing called a steam room. So he goes into the steam room and he's hurting. And, but you don't, know how, you don't know what's sweat versus what's moisture in the air when you're in a steam room, right? You guys know what a steam room is? So there's steam everywhere. It's actual water, makes like a cloudy. So when you're in there and it gets that, you don't know, is that, is that me or is that the room? It's one of these things that it's hard to know. But my buddy who was two pounds under and dehydrated comes out. He's now two and a half pounds over. He gained a half a pound in the steam. He can't figure it out. I'm going, you really can't figure that out? Every breath you take, you're breathing in water. It's a steam room. Is water. You stayed in there 40 minutes. You consumed a half a pound of water according to the scale. Do I need to spell this out for you? Sauna is dry. Any water you see on you came from you. You get a little bit better indication of how it is you're losing weight. And by the way, guys. Ige makes a good point. There is sauna etiquette, and there's things that go in, uh, go on in saunas that every athlete knows, but nobody else would. By example, if you go get in a sauna, and there just happens to be a wrestler in that sauna, you're maybe you're at a hotel, they got a sauna, maybe you go to a gym, but it's not your normal gym. If there's a wrestler in the sauna, when you get in the sauna, that wrestler will not leave the sauna until you leave the sauna. The moment you come in there with a trained sauna 
combat athlete, there is now an agreement of a competition, and it's whoever quits first. And I've heard these stories countless times of guys who have got in saunas that are fellow combat athletes, but Dan Gable was in the sauna. So now they know right away the unspoken rule, even if we've never met, we never said a word, and we never do. I see your ear, you see my ear. It's game on. And I know guys that have tried to wear out Dan Gable. Now, that's not as hard of a game if you don't get in at the same time. If that guy was in there 20 minutes before you even got in, you got a 20-minute head start on him, you're probably going to win, unless that guy is Dan Gable. It's a very interesting concept, and things happen in saunas, and there is an etiquette to the sauna. And when Ige said that he got in there with water, it reminded me of one of the great moments, one of the great comedic moments in history, in theatrical history, which was the three amigos, they're all out in the desert on horseback, the first two reach for their cantinas that are dry, and these guys are dying. Chevy Chase reaches for his cantina. He's got so much water and extra water that he then uses it to pour all over his body like he takes a little mini shower with it. And he's so uninterested in liquids at this point that he takes the cantina and he, he throws it. And like the camera goes to it on the desert floor, laying down and like spilling out the remnants on a rock while his two, his two partners are there dying of thirst. And there's something about what Ige did, pulling out the water, seeing those heads whip around, that ties me into Dan Gable, but ultimately ties me back to Chevy Chase in the movie Three Amigos. Speaking of Khabib, I want to talk about some guys that he may be familiar with. So Dustin Poirier chose Conor McGregor over a title fight. I know we had suspicions of that, but it's, it's very relevant. Dana came out and cleared this up. To that point specifically, saying that, yes, we went to Dustin, he was offered a title, he was told Connor, fight is out there, but that's not going to be for a belt, what do you want to do? Very interesting spot, I don't know if we've ever seen anything like it, right? Do you want a title fight or do you want a bigger fight? And the athlete chose the bigger fight over, from a competitive standpoint, a title fight, which is probably a very unique situation that Dustin wouldn't have even found himself in, had he not already been the champion. Right, Dustin's eagerness to be the champion and as, as much as he wants it, the fact that he has conquered that already, I think is what allowed him mentally to go in the direction that he went in. All right, fine, but it's relevant to the point because there was a topic going around, was Dustin screwed? And the fact that Dana came out and said, no, he was offered, he was presented with two scenarios, he got to choose the one that he preferred to do, means no, he, he was not slighted in the least. It's very interesting, though. I mean, 155 pounds. The best guy out there has said he's not going to do it. All right, fine. The next best guy was offered the fight but said he wanted to do something else. Okay, fine. So now we're, we're openly saying we, we got a good option. We grabbed two guys. We're going to call him the world champion. We acknowledge they won't be the best in the world. The best guy has said he's not going to do it. And we're also openly telling you that the guy we think is next in line has chose to do something else. But we're going to take you two guys, we're going to get on with it, we're going to get the belt out there, get active and get busy. Okay, that's a lot to unpack, but okay. And we also have some clarity, and we also have a division that is unfolding storylines, and the storylines are pretty damn good. I would love 
A couple of follow-up questions, though. Such as, if Dustin was going to fight someone else and it would be a title fight, was that someone else going to be Chandler or was it going to be Oliveira? And there'd be no wrong answer. And Dustin's likely going to fight both of those guys. Anyway, what I'm sharing with you is there's no wrong answer. We would all love to see that round robin any way that they want to do it. It also appears... And I got to know why Connor couldn't fight for the title. Why was it? What was the reasoning in no title, period, going into the Poirier-Connor fight? Because I don't know that there would be a great answer. Is this because we're saying that Connor, because he was he just lost, he doesn't qualify to fight for a title? Is that is that all that we're going off of? I would listen, but the guy Connor's had three world titles before. Whether it was the interim, the featherweight, the 155, he's had three world titles. Connor qualifies for a title fight, or we're saying no, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Well, it has to make some level of sense if we're acknowledging that Dustin Poirier is the true number one contender. And we're booking another guy against him. It doesn't matter who that guy is. If the guy qualifies to fight in a main event against the solidified true number one contender, then that guy gets to fight for a title too. All right? I mean, do you see the problem there? You can't say, well, I don't, I, I, this isn't the right fight and here's why. That's what I want to hear. Why? Why is it not the right fight? Simple question, but we could learn something if we found out what the answer was. And then moreover, do we have the lightweight championship match? And the winner of that draws into the winner of Dustin versus Connor. That's what it would appear. But the only reason it would appear that way is because those are the only two big fights at 155 pounds that are currently booked. If we had a couple of more big fights come out, we could easily change our mind. 155 does appear for 2021 to be locked up by a handful of guys. Poirier, Connor, Chandler, Oliveira, and you can't forget about Justin Gaethje. It doesn't seem as though it's going to be very hard for someone else to break in. Whether you're a Kevin Lee, Islam, Makhlchev, uh comes to mind, Benny Darush, if you're one of these guys, no matter how good you are, it looks as though that's going to be a tough one to break into for 2021. It just sounds like the calendar and the story and the guys are already identified. Where are we going to do them in what order exactly? What are the stakes? Meaning, number one contendership, big old main events, world title fight. What are the stakes? So if you're at 155 and you are one of the three guys I just named, again, Kevin Lee, very fair. Islam Makhlchev, doing great. Benny Darush going to finally get in there with Tony Ferguson just by example. You're going to have to strategize a little bit differently. It's not just go win a fight, make a call out. You're going to have to strategize. How am I going to bring one of these guys down? Do I have to do it physically by getting in the cage and doing it? Or can I bring them down in the media? Can I outplay them? And if you're willing to do something that somebody else isn't willing to do, that's number one opportunity in this sport will come purely from that, that you're willing to do something that somebody else isn't. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about outmaneuver them. You may not even have to fight the guy and you can pass him. But you got to pay very close attention to your division. you got to pay very close attention to who's in what position, where on the calendar are they, and how do we believe this is going to unfold, both with a victory, both with a loss. You have to plan these things. To break into one of those huge opportunities for a 55-pounder that is not one of the top five guys right now can be done, but you've got to be ready. 
You gotta be in shape. You gotta have your weight on point. You gotta have your paperwork. Make sure you're licensed wherever they're playing. Look ahead. Look at the calendar. Get your get everything ready. So of all of those big fights, nothing in this sport goes smoothly. That's the only thing that has been consistent since 1993 till now. Things happen. Unforeseen happen. Opportunities open up. It's going to require some patience. It's going to require a lot of discipline. It's going to require a lot of mental toughness. But don't count yourself out yet. Get yourself in a position and be assured that of the big fights that are planned, something somewhere is going to go wrong. Put yourself in that spot. One more thing I want to mention real quickly. Did you see the big news? Guess who's back? Chemayev. And guess who he's coming back to fight? Everybody. In fact, he used the word, I am coming to smash everybody. Ali then, his manager, waited on the back of that. This is all on social media and says, I personally would like Neil Magny or Kevin Holland. I think those are good challenges for the young man as he comes back. Listen, I love that. We don't have to do all this crazy title talk all the time. Sometimes you go after a fight that you think you can win or you go after a fight, most importantly, that you can get. Magny will fight him. Holland just called him out and announced he's going down to the weight class. I love those call-outs and not to mention... I'm glad that Ali hasn't forgot what we learned two months ago before Jemayev took his oars out of the water in the first place, which is guys don't want to fight him. They don't want to fight him. And what's the difference to Jemayev if you're not fighting for the title? What's the difference? He's had three fights. He's not ranked yet, to my understanding. I would have no way to confirm that. I don't have the foggiest idea where you get the rankings or why you guys would bother. I digress. Those are great call-outs. Not to mention there are guys that have called him out. He can go and get the match. It does look as though we're getting a little clarity on Chemayev and that he is going to settle into 170 pounds. That disappoints me because I enjoyed the experiment. I love the 70 back up to 85, put it in reverse again. We had to do away with that when Leon stepped up to take on Hazmat because... Leon was ranked number three in the world, and if Chemaya beats him, that's going to draw him right into a world title fight should the powers that be decide to go and make said match. So I bring this to you because if we're not doing Leon and we're not in an elimination fight, let's not rule out 185 because old Chael was enjoying the experiment, by the way. But welcome back, Chemayev. Many people are going to be thrilled that you're back, mainly because you feel better, in all fairness, right? We got a little brotherhood here. Even though we got to pick and, and go and fight, we, we we want all the everybody feeling good. So congratulations on that. Welcome back. You want to know two guys that are doing it right? Start with Blahal Muhammad. I've never seen anybody take an opportunity and use it better. Better. In terms of the manipulation of the media. In terms of controlling the narrative for oneself than Blahal Muhammad. He should absolutely be studied. And you guys would be a fool if you don't go and study him. If you dismiss him because he didn't get his hand raised in his last fight, you are missing what's going on here. Muhammad as recently as today. Muhammad who did not matter one month ago. I don't mean that in the condescending you don't matter. You understand what I'm saying, Blahal. Is now still headline news even though he didn't get his hand raised. He's now said that he would like a rematch with Leon. If that doesn't work out, he'd go ahead and fight Damian Maya. 
He's starting to control the narrative for his own career. Who the hell else would you want steering the ship of your career than you? And he's now doing that. Oh, and by the way, both guys are available. By the way, Leon doesn't have anybody to fight. Oh, by the way, Damian Maya isn't booked for a fight. It's their perfect call-outs. They make all the sense in the world, not to mention their names, not to mention you're going to get some attention. Hall's not going to get relegated back to the undercards. He's handling these things for himself. He's provided some options. Those are polar. Are going to go fight one of the best strikers in Leon, or he's going to go fight the best grappler in Damian Maya? They're polar opposites. What's not to like? about what Blahal is doing. Not to mention, we're all a little sympathetic towards Blahal, right? I mean, we'd like to see something good happen to the guy. He takes a shot. None of us want to take that. Be a nightmare. Be absolutely terrorizing. Open your eye. You can't see anything. Think of the terror that he went through for a moment. We want to see something good happen to him. He just provided us with two very good ideas. And then on the back of that, you got Marvin Vittori. Pissed off Marvin. There's nobody more interesting at 185 pounds than pissed off, Marvin. I don't really give a damn about Marvin Vittori. I don't, I don't really give a damn. I, pissed off, Marvin? Yeah, now I'm going to stop what I'm doing for pissed I like pissed off. He's all, he's all upset today because of the rankings. <laughs> well, I don't know how you guys are seeing the rankings, by the way. I don't know where to go and find them or what dirt sheet you subscribe to. I don't know anybody that sees the rankings but the fighters. Apparently the fighters like know where to go to even get that. And apparently the fighters don't care in the least that the person doing the rankings remains anonymous. <laughs> I mean, Journalism 101, cite your source. The rankings don't even have the integrity to tell you who's doing it, but the fighters care about them. But Marvin had this whole thing broken down about how some guy uh, some guy uh, beat a number five, and so that qualified him from 10, and then a number 10 beat a number three, and that qualified him for number two. I mean, Marvin broke it down to where it made perfect sense of the fact that it doesn't make any sense, which makes me wonder why in the hell anybody's going to the rankings. Anyway, is this a newsflash that the rankings aren't perfect? Is that any kind of a newsflash? The person doing the rankings or the team doing the rankings that remains unnamed, what does that tell you if they're unnamed? It tells you they don't have an office. It tells you they don't have an address. It tells you they don't have a phone. I'd call the rankings committee right now if they had a phone number. I can't call them. They're not real. Which you know what that means? It means it's a job that isn't paid, which is done by a person who's unnamed, which means you really shouldn't care about the rankings, but Marvin's pissed off, and you should care about that. Coming up in a moment, I'm going to break down all the big UFC 260 storylines. O'Malley, Woodley, and of course the main event. That's next, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by American Giant. Guys, I'm a simple man. I would say that my style is simple and classic. My wife helps me out with that, of course, but I recently found out. In the 1960s, the average American only bought 25 items per year. Today, we average closer to 70 items a year. And despite buying two and a half times more clothes, we only keep them half as long. Can you believe that? This is where American Giant comes in. They believe clothes should be wearable for years. So you don't have to buy more than you need. and You don't have to throw them out. I ordered the classic full zip. I got the V-neck tee and a heavyweight long sleeve. And I got to tell you guys, I love them. They're comfortable. They fit good. I get compliments. There's not a lot else that you want in your clothing. And if you're like me and you prefer a classic style that will last beyond the season, I highly recommend American Giant. 
Not only are you getting quality clothes made to last, but you'll also be supporting a supply chain that's 100% in the USA while also taking a stand for the hardworking people and jobs in U.S. communities. Right now, American Giant is offering to my listeners, that's you, 15% off your first order when you use the promo code CHAIL at AmericanGiant.com. That's American-Giant.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. You're going to get 15% off. The tournament is in full swing and the action hasn't disappointed. The number of upsets we've gotten to enjoy so far is what makes being a sports fan in March so much fun. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. Guys, it is that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt. For your shot at winning $100, all it takes is $1. You bet $1, that team wins, you get paid. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry. If college basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has 100 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's exciting UFC 260. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code CHAIL. To turn $1 into $100. Guys, I can't say it any more times. I can't say it any more clearly. This is for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Guys, I was talking with Helwani today. We were doing Errol and the Bad Guy, and Helwani laid it out for Tyron Woodley, and it was not pleasant. But it also wasn't wrong. And I just hadn't realized it. This was all happening around me, and I didn't open my eyes well enough to see it. And here's what Ariel said. Listen, if Tyron Woodley gets beat, I would not at all be surprised if he gets cut. Okay, this is Ariel. And Errol used as evidence Junior Dos Santos over Reem. He said, you know, a lot of people are forgetting this, but Tyron Woodley's 39 years old. To put that in perspective, he's GSP's age. No, as a matter of fact, to put it in perspective, he's three months older than George St. Pierre. And Tyron does look so damn good. In fairness to Errol, yes, I forgot that the years had crept up as well. But what Errol is saying is that'll be a, a four-fight skid from a former champion who's simply not going to return to the top. What do we do with him? Well, you cut him. That's what history says. And that was a very uh, cold splash of water in, in my face. I'm a Tyron fan. I'm a Tyron friend, but I used to also train with Tyron Woodley. I go back with Tyron in ways I've, I've never talked to you guys about. But we, we used to share the practice room together. We used to punch and kick at one another. So it's one of these things, but I've also had a different interpretation of his career 
particularly as of late, particularly since he lost the belt, than anybody else. I watch when he goes out and fights Darren Till, two and a half to one underdog, goes out, not only beats Till, stops Till, draws into Usman. What did we find out the night he fought Usman? That Usman's better. Okay, fine. So what? So Tyron's the second best fighter in the world. So then you start adding them up. But it's, now it's a question. Now it's a mental question. How is he going to do returning to spots that don't have the same significance, meaning the title? How's he going to do rechasing the title as he did claiming the title, as he did defending the title? Fair questions, tough spot to be in your career. And this is what he got faced with. He got absolute hammers. Gilbert Byrne comes to mind. Colby Covington comes to mind. But he dealt with a lot of stuff and a lot of positives came from those fights. I mean, particularly the Gilbert Burns. I mean, Gilbert Burns hits Tyron, puts him down, follows him to the ground, transitions to a full mount 26 seconds into the fight. Tyron Woodley found a way to fight him another 24 and a half minutes. That's a positive, that's a tough son of a bitch right there that had grit, that had mental toughness. Tyron in that same fight was down four rounds. It's four rounds to none going to the fifth. Why show up for the fifth? What's the point? This is, this is over. You're down. This fight is over. Tyron Woodley went out and grounded out, and he tried to win that fight. That's why he went out for the fifth. He was going to go stop him. He was going to win the fight. And that shows heart, and it shows grit. I mean, I can tell you, those are some of the last things to go. Tyron still got it. Luke is a tough night out. And mentally, it's going to be interesting to see the approach of Tyron. If he looks at Luke and says, well, you're not as decorated as my last opponent's. And therefore, it's hard for me to get motivated enough for you. We got a problem. We got a big problem. I'll tell you what I like about the match. I like that it's three rounds. This is significantly easier than anything Tyron Woodley has done or been asked to do in the last six years. Significantly easier. A worst case scenario, which is what you plan and prep for, is I got to be here all night long. And it's a damn long night. What a worst case scenario here. He's out there 70% of the time that he's used to being out there. I only bring that to you because Tyron Woodley is such an explosion athlete. He has to formulate, calculate a strategy to hold that energy, to hold some of those explosions in case he needs them 20 minutes from now. So it's a very different spot. And if Tyron just goes out and lets it go, I mean, we're going to see, I think we could really see Tyron physically at his best, but I've really never questioned his physical abilities. It's a tough weight class. He fought some tough guys. He beat a whole bunch of them, and he slid to a couple in a row. So what? I got no problem with it. This is not, I, you know, I don't know that I love the comparison that Ariel made to putting a Junior Dos Santos in there, by the way. I mean, Junior was getting finished, and he was getting finished relatively quickly. I, that's simply not what's happening with Tyron Woodley. Is it a must-win situation? Yeah, I think Ariel's right. I think that's fair. I think that's tough, but I, I, I don't think it's in, inaccurate. Does Tyron have a great way to win this? Yeah, you bet he does. And I'll tell you something else. And, and Luke's a tough, that's a tough opponent. Luke's been on my radar for a while. Jensen Luke is a very, very tough guy. He doesn't have the same level of wrestling as T. Wood. Now, T. Wood years ago fell in love with his right hand. And it's a very common thing in golf. A golfer will fall in love with his swing. But T. Wood has fallen in love with his right hand. That's okay. I just want to remind T. Wood, while there's still a couple of hours and days left to remind T. Wood, he's an All-American wrestler. He's taking on a guy who's never put on a singlet, who doesn't own a pair of headgear. You go take this guy down anytime you want. 
That is basic logic, and you know that, and that's why you got into the sport. That's why you came to the sport having a belief that I've got a good, big arsenal behind me because that's how effective and dominant wrestling is and has always been. It's how you lost your championship. It's how you can get on the road to getting your championship back, and it's the road to beating Luke T. Wood. Remember who you are. Staying with UFC 260, let's talk about one of the guys who's looking to get back on track Saturday. Guys, let's talk a little uh, Sugar Sean, because there's a few moving parts here, and I'm very curious. I mean, first off, I like the Sugar Show. I think that you guys do, too. Sean Drew Thomas Almeida. You're probably not overly familiar with Almeida. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and he hasn't been extremely busy lately. Even if you go look at those three losses he had, they're spread out. So it would appear, okay, if a guy's hurt in Sugar Sean, if a guy's coming off his loss, it would appear maybe he got a little bit of help in the booking department, but he's still got to go and deal with this task, and it's not going to be physical, it's mental, and I am curious. Sugar Sean has his first defeat, okay? I'm backing you up to his last fight. He has his first defeat. How is he going to handle that? One thing that happens when you're undefeated, and it can, be, it can even be 0-0. I went through this experience. I was completely undefeated, but I'd never done it before. In my, I only know what my mind was telling me, right? If I was to personalize this, which is I'm invincible. I can beat anybody. I've seen this on TV and I can beat all these guys. You actually get in there one time and all of a sudden your reality has changed. And I bring that to you because Sean likely believed he could beat anybody. He had beaten everybody. He likely believed nobody could beat him. Nobody had beaten him. So what does that one loss mean? If anything, but th this is the question. What does it mean? And he's only got two options. Sugar Sean can go into this fight and say, that has nothing to do with anything, and I'm going to deal with the task at hand of the person in front of me tonight. Or he can go in there all puckered up, wondering and worrying, is this going to happen again? You will see this a lot, and you'll hear this narrative a lot. More so in boxing than you do in MMA. About a guy who suffers his first knockout, and he's never the same again. It isn't the physicality of the knockout. Something didn't happen in that moment that reduced him as a fighter. What happens the next time he comes into the ring is he's gun-shy and he knows that can happen. He didn't know it before. He gained power in the naiveness. He gained power in what he didn't know. So then the boxer goes in and all of a sudden he's, he's slow. He's gun-shy. He's throwing punches out much slower because he's using his hands for protection. Anytime they leave to attack, his protections are gone, and he knows that he needs to be protected. It makes him slow. It's what makes him get knocked out again. You see a boxer, a great career, gets knocked out. All of a sudden, he gets knocked out three more times. And people will always trace it back and go, well, yeah, you know, once you get knocked out once, you're never the same. your chin's never the same. That is not true. It is not a physicality. It's a mentality. And I just wonder, where will Sean be? Because as I watched Sean from a distance, he handled that loss perfectly. There was a part of him that denied that it happened because he had the leg injury and we shouldn't even count this one. Okay. I mean, you get to control what you let into your bubble. If he wants to keep that out of his bubble, okay. I thought he was a sportsman about it. I thought he was a gentleman about it, but I also saw the competitor in him where he's denying that it's even a real thing or that it existed. And that's, that's very true because you're looking at him. 
Not how do you guys judge it from a PR perspective. I'm talking about what he lets into his bubble. Conor McGregor never accepted that Khabib was champion. The night that Khabib beat Conor and left with the belt. Conor said he's not champion because of the antics that happened in the ring. He was not crowned. The ceremony did not take place. Now, that is a stretch, but Conor's letting us into his mindset. I loved it. I thought that it was fascinating. So Sean's denial that that's even a loss is an interesting thing because he's letting you into what he, what he believes. I do feel as though this is the question, though. Is he going to be able to let that go, not be gun-shy, go out there and compete? Or is he going to be like some boxers that we've seen throughout history where that first one, it just you never let it go? Johnny Walker, fine example. To use a name that you guys are familiar with and more recent in MMA. As soon as that first one came, boy, they just, it was dominoes. So for me, that's what Sean is up against. I don't know that I need to give an X's and O's breakdown of Sugar Sean versus Thomas Almeida because I don't think that's what this fight is about. Has Sean let that go? Is he mature enough, even at his young age, to know the importance of letting it go? You don't get to bring that momentum and all your positivities you had in other fights with you to help you in this fight. We all understand that. So why bring the negative into the fight? To wrap up today's show, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. My official prediction for Stipe versus Angano is Stipe Miocic. By the way, guys, my predictions have been so wrong. Is that the word? Wrong. So wrong that people have even labeled it the Chael curse and begged me, begged me not to pick the guy that they like. I swear to goodness, on social media that has happened where people go, please don't pick this guy. I really like him. Don't put the curse on him. Look, it's very hard for me, Stipe and Gano. I've seen it. I saw the fight under the same rules with the same two guys in the same weight class, and I've seen no evidence from Engano that things are going to be different. I'm hearing things through the grapevine of the focus being put on jiu-jitsu and wrestling. I'm hearing those things. Whatever he's doing with jiu-jitsu is out. Waste of time. Whatever he's doing with wrestling is going to matter. Now... Jiu-jitsu is about submission. Wrestling is about position. So on its face, its most uh, basic primal form is what I'm speaking to. A submission is not going to help Francis at all in this fight. But position's going to matter. If he gets taken down and he can find a way to scramble, get either back to his feet or to get on top, very wonderful things. We're looking at a whole new fight. But I'm not hearing those things, and I definitely haven't seen them in the cage. Now, to judge Francis in a negative light, please don't interpret it this way. Not at all. What Francis has done between Stipe Part 1 and now is amazing. It's what dreams are made of. It is what comic book heroes are made of. So I do not mean to insult Francis. What I'm speaking to is he was so destructive and so effective and so fast. I mean, so quickly. He's only got a couple of minutes in there. In years. He's a couple of minutes in there. In years. Cain Velasquez didn't make it through the first round. Are you ready for that? 
Rosenstruck didn't make it through the first round. Are you ready for that? What he's doing to guys and how quickly he's doing, it's very relevant. I'm just speaking to the other side of the coin, which is when you get out of there very quickly, it becomes problematic down the road. It, it bit Ronda Rousey in the ass, just to use an example for you. But when Ronda was going out there and armbarred and getting done as she's out of there in a minute, all of a sudden when she finds herself in the second round with Holly Holm, not to mention she's taking inventory, there's four of these left, it's different. You can get through it, but you do become a victim of your own success in some ways. That's what practice is, guys. That's why we go to practice, to prepare. That's what visualization is, guys. Seeing something that we think is going to happen so that when it does, we're prepared. The reality is, and Rhonda's a great example. She had so much success. Just wasn't ready for a second round. I realize there's other things that went wrong in that contest. Primarily Holly Holmes' boxing and kickboxing skills. But it's still a real thing. When you're deeper and you're doing something that you weren't prepared for. In the last years, Francis Ngannou has had to get up and scramble up off of the bottom a total, competitively, of zero times. Francis Ngannou in the last years has gotten a total offensive takedowns done by him a total of zero times. Francis Ngannou has been drug into the deeper waters and the championship rounds in the last year since his first fight with Stipe, a total of zero times. So all I'm bringing for you is the argument and the speculation of why should we believe anything's different? Because it's a definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the clinical textbook definition of insanity. So what is going to be different is a very fair question, and it's one that I am posing for you. I'm aware things don't have to be different if Francis can just end up on his feet a little bit longer. His chances will exponentially increase that he can knock Stipe out. But I'm not looking at it from a best-case scenario, and I never do. I look at it from a worst-case scenario. I did that as an athlete. I was always, the, the worst case, what's going to happen? And that's where the training, the hard work with Clayton Hires, that's where it came in. If things don't go our way, if we can't find this, we got to be out here all night long. Can we still be around at the end of the fight? And what is the end of the fight going to look like? Are we now eating up clock and trying to get out there? Are we still coming after your opponent? That's where the hard work comes in. That's the worst case scenario, but that's what you have to be prepared for. Is Francis Ngannou, in fairness, could he even be expected to be ready for a fifth round? I realize what he will say. He has the right to believe it. I realize what his team will say. They have the right to believe it. What I'm suggesting for you is, would you be? The last time you had to go into championship rounds was years ago, by the way, against this same opponent. Nobody else could hold up against you. You wrecked every... Where was the practice and preparation for that? That just done in the practice room? We'll take that, man. If that's all we got, we're going to take that and we're going to be able to rely on that. I'm talking about something a little bit more feasible. I'm talking about who had the harder last three years. Whose was harder? Stipe's. Much, much more difficult than Francis's. Is that helpful or is that a bad thing? That Hey, we can have a conversation on that too. But for Francis to come into this a heavy favorite, anybody that's betting on Francis, by virtue of that statement, is betting that Francis can not only stay on his feet, but that he connect on his feet and knock Stipe out. Nobody is picking Francis by triangle choke, and nobody is picking Francis by judge's decision. So if you're picking Francis, you think he can knock him out. 
to knock him out, he's going to have to stay standing. And I'm just asking for you, what in the past, from the first fight to the second fight, what happened there that gave you the confidence or showed you that Francis has the ability to stay standing? I'm asking a question, but I've asked it before and the lines continue to move in Francis's favor. So I see the phenomenon. I know in reality this is happening. I'm asking you, why? Share it with me. Tell me what I'm not seeing here. And if this is all a gamble and a roll of the dice and you just think, you just have a feeling, I can accept that. I'll get it. I want to know, do you have an analysis? And if you do, just share it with me. You teach me something. I'm asking a question, but I would love it. Sincerely. Answer it for me. What has happened since their first fight as it pertains to Francis to make you believe that he can keep this fight on his feet? Who has challenged him? Who has pressured him? What is it you've seen quantifiably? We don't have to go off of a gut reaction. What is it that Stipe is doing that you're seeing quantifiably that is worse what is Stipe doing now that he's doing worse than he did the first time they fought? What match did you see of Stipe's and what are you basing that on? I get gut reactions, guys. I, hey, fully understand it. But I'm asking a different question. Do you have an analysis? If so, I want to hear it. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the show and be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Tell us how you'll be watching the fights this Saturday. Speaking of that, enjoy UFC 260 this weekend and come back on Wednesday to hear me break it all down. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.